two verses in this psalm, Psalm 46. I have a new Bible up here, thanks to Caleb. Thank you, Caleb. Caleb gave me this Bible uh, last Saturday, and uh, I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed using it. So this is my first time using it to preach from. So Psalm 46. Uh, how many of you enjoy swimming? You enjoy swimming. All right. I remember the first time I learned how to swim, and many of you uh, probably remember that as well. It's a kind of a, a key moment in your life, perhaps. So when you learn how to swim. I remember I was probably seven or eight years old, and uh, I was visiting family in Florida. We had an aunt and uncle that lived down there, and they had a swimming pool. And so we were down there for vacation with my family, and we were staying with them. And uh, they, uh, they had a pool in their backyard, so we were there with my aunt and uncle and my cousins. And they were all swimming in the pool. And uh, I was in the shallow end because I, I really didn't know how to swim. And my uncle uh, took it upon himself to teach me how to swim. He was going to teach me how to swim in kind of a, an unconventional method. I remember running around the pool, screaming, and uh, he finally caught up to me, grabbed me, and just threw me in the deep end. And uh, I learned how to swim really, really fast, right? Uh, started doggy paddling, and uh, I remember just being in a panic, and, but I made it. I made it to the side of the pool. And I remember after that, I wasn't so scared. And uh, I, of course, learned to swim better as time went on. I remember uh, Cameron coming to live with us. And, uh, you know, we, we were able to experience a lot of firsts with Cameron. And uh, many of you know we adopted Cameron, and, and he came to live with us when he was six years old. And so we had the opportunity to teach him how to swim. And, of course, uh, you know how it is. If you ever taught your kids or taught someone how to swim, you're, you start them in the shallow end, and uh, you're right there beside them, right? And they're just trying to learn technique. And then, uh, then you kind of space yourself a little bit further away from them, and you want to make sure they get it. You want to make sure they stay on top of the water. And then, of course, you venture out into the deep end. Well, the problem with Cameron, though, Cameron was very, very scared. And uh, Cameron was just crazy. I mean, he, he would flail his arms everywhere and splash in the water. And um, it, it, was just, it was just a difficult thing. And we had to tell him, Cameron, you, you, you have to... Just be calm, right? Just settle down, be calm. You can't fight the water like that if you're going to learn how to swim. And eventually he picked it up. Well, the same, you know, I think about that, that time, and, you know, I think the same thing goes for God today. The same principle uh, can be applied to our relationship with God. In fact, the nation of Israel, uh, back in the psalm that we're going to read today, was really drowning in a sense. Uh, they needed God to step in. They needed someone in the midst of turmoil and disaster and destruction. And, of course, we know that their enemies were always against them. And uh, they, they had, a, they had a, a tough time, right? And God is going to give them one line uh, as a promise that if you do this, then this will happen. Okay, we see it here in Psalm 46. The Bible says, beginning with verse 10, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge, Selah. All right, let's pray together. Lord, we, uh, we thank you for your word, and I'm thankful for this psalm. 
and just how it's ministered to me in this uh, last week. And uh, I pray that it would do the same for everyone in here today. Lord, just help us to really focus on you today and your word. Take away the distractions. Lord, help us to be still. And it helps to know you, helps to know your word. Lord, if there's someone here that doesn't know you as Savior, we pray for them. Uh, but Lord, for those of us who know you, and uh, Lord, please just, just help us. We need you. For it's in the Lord Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Okay, so now God is going to show us that when we are present in his presence by being still, then we will what? What does the passage say there? then we will know God, right? Be still and know God. So let's take this first part, be still. Number one, if you're taking notes, uh, it's being present with God, okay? Be present with God. Be still. The idea is, is really this. Stop trying to fight the battles yourself uh, without God's strength. Stop trying to strive for control of everything. Does anyone in here have that problem? I know I struggle with it so many times. Just trying to do things in my own strength. Uh, so stop trying to, to be in, con- in control. Stop, just, just relinquish that. Surrender that to God. Now, this is a hard principle for the nation. Why? Because their entire existence up to this point was in a battle. Uh, think about it. They were in Egypt and they got out. They crossed the Red Sea. They were in a battle with the Egyptians, right? Trying to get away. Uh, they get into the wilderness, and of course, we know they're battling various things. They're battling uh, food and starvation and thirst and enemies. Then they get to the Jordan River. Right after they cross the Jordan, they go to Jericho, and they battle there. And then they go through the town and battle, and just really throughout their existence, driving out the four nations. And so God says to them right here, you're at a crossroads. Okay, you're, you're at a crossroads. You have two options. You can continue fighting in your own strength, which you've done. And we see that all through Scripture. Or, he says, you can be still and you can relinquish that. You can surrender to me. And I have a feeling that some of you today, you're in a battle right now. Uh, And for some of you, you're really tired of fighting. Maybe you're battling an addiction. Uh, Maybe it's an addiction to alcohol. Maybe it's an addiction to pharmaceutical drugs. Maybe it's an addiction to uh, pornography or, or gambling. Uh, maybe you're in a battle with depression. Maybe you're in a battle to win back a wayward son or daughter. Maybe you're in a battle with debt or your finances. Maybe it's a, a child's disability that you're trying to, to navigate and walk through right now. Maybe you're battling with a spouse who's wanting a divorce. Maybe you're battling with an ex-wife or an ex-husband or some past relationship. Maybe it's a health situation. Uh, Maybe it's a crisis in your life. Maybe it's cancer. Maybe a co-worker at the office or a neighbor down the street. Maybe it's a boss. Uh, But you're you're, you're really battling right now. Maybe it's a, a battle in your head with suicidal thoughts or anxiety. And I don't know what some of you are battling right now. I know of some, okay, and we all go through battles. Um, But I don't know what that is for you right now. But I want you to hear this, and this is the promise of God. God is with you in the battle, 
right? God is always present. He's a very present help in trouble, the Bible says, right? And so we know that God is always with us uh, in the battle. He's present with us. But the only way you're going to realize that God is with you, the Bible says, is you're going to have to slow down long enough. You're going to have to stop fighting in your own strength and start relying on the strength of God. This is one of the principles of God in the Bible. God never catches up to your pace. He always waits for you to slow down in order for you to be with him. And that's so true. You know, God is not going to catch up to you. Sometimes we just have to slow down long enough to, you know what, we're going to walk with God. We're going to walk. And, uh, you know, God says sometimes, hey, you know what, you can run all you want. You can exert all your energy, but I'll be back here. Now, God's presence in the midst of a battle doesn't mean that you're going to be immune from pain and suffering. Right? And I think that's what, that's what we want sometimes. When we're, when we're in a battle, we just want it to be over. Right? We, we, don't, we don't like pain, obviously. You know, it's a stupid statement. We, we hate pain. We don't want those difficulties in our life. Uh, but God's presence doesn't mean that those things are going to be absent. God's presence in, in the midst of a battle doesn't mean that even the pain and suffering will cease or end. Okay? That's not the promise. It doesn't even mean that it's going to turn out how you envisioned. Uh, you know, God's just not going to go along with our plans. Uh, but I do know this. He will be with you. Right? He promises to be with you. Uh, what it means is that when you need him the most, unlike other people in the world at times, God will never leave your side. And that's encouraging. Uh, you know, he's always going to fight for you. He's, he's going to go ahead of you in life. Uh, the Bible says that he's going to prepare a table before us in the presence of our enemies. He's going to be the strong tower you need. He's going to lift you up when you're weak. He's going to help you walk when you can't walk. Uh, he's going to be the one that renews your strength if you allow him. That's our God. Right? But the question is, how does that happen? How does that happen? How do we really see that in our life? Uh, you know, one of the things that I always enjoyed doing growing up in our home, one thing that we enjoyed together as a family was just watching TV together, honestly, just watching shows or watching movies together. And those are some of my, really some of my best memories with my family is just, Hey, we're going to pop some popcorn, and we're going to get in the, go in the living room and watch a movie together. And we would do that all the time as a family. Uh, I remember, of course, I was a 90s kid growing up in the 90s. You guys, some of you might remember this if you watch TV. But do you remember on ABC on Fridays, they had a thing called TGIF, right? Thank God it's Friday. Do you guys remember the old TV guides that you actually got in the mail, right? And uh, you could look through, okay, what's coming on? Well, we, we sat down together as a family every Friday night on ABC. We watched TGIF, good shows, right? Like uh, new episodes of Family Matters, Boy Meets World. You know, we, we just watched those together as a family and had a great time. You know, Leslie's family was that way growing up. Uh, she grew up in Germany. I don't know if some of you knew this, but she lived in Germany for nine years. Her parents were missionaries. And one of the things that her mamaw would do is record shows. She would record television shows on VHS, and she would mail them to Germany. And uh, she talks about getting those in the mail, and, and they always had a blast. They'd watch um, 
America's Funniest Home Videos and things like that. And uh, they would watch TV shows over there in Germany. They loved to do that together as a family. So naturally, when we got married, uh, that's something that we always enjoyed doing. Okay, we, we just enjoy, hey, let's go to a movie or let's watch something together. And uh, we do that with our family now. Our boys love to have movie nights and different things. One of the things that we did um, when we got married, and of course, looking back on it, you know, this was just so stupid. This was just such a stupid decision. And, uh, but we're allowed that, right? We're young, and <clears throat> we're just, we just got married, and we could barely afford groceries, but we had to have a surround sound system, okay? Uh, so I remember, I remember going to the store. She's pointing at me saying, that was you. Well, hey, you didn't twist my arm too hard because we got one. Uh, so I remember, man, we were just barely getting by, but we had to have this. And, and we, we went to the store and bought this surround sound system, and we just thought it was the best thing ever. Uh, anyway, we still have it. We still have it. We still use it. We've been married almost 16 years. Uh, but here's the thing. When, when we're using it now at home, oftentimes, because it's old, uh, the sound will just go out right? It'll, it'll just stop working. And so the way to fix it is what we always have to do is we have to get up, go over, unplug it from the outlet, and plug it back in. Uh, and, it, and then it works again. Someone once said this, almost everything will work again if you unplug it for a few minutes, including you. And I, I like that quote. Almost everything will work again if you unplug it for a few minutes, including you. And I believe there's some people in here who could benefit from a reset button. Wouldn't you like to have that sometimes, just a reset? Let, let me reset. I want to start this day over. Uh, some of us would benefit from that. That would be nice to have. You know, some of you are, are running at such a frenetic pace, and you're so connected just to the connectivity of this world, right? We, we are connected more than ever before, and you're teetering on the point of burnout. And listen, I'm not throwing stones at you because I find myself there many, many times. And I know that all of us want a prosperous, abundant, effective, victorious life. Uh, We want to live for Christ. But I think sometimes we want it as long as it fits into our schedule. Right? Like, we want this abundant life. We say, God, I want what you have for me. And we might not say it, but we could add this to the end of it, as long as it works for me. As long as it's not too hard, as long as it doesn't require too much sacrifice. And that's the way we, we, we live a lot of times. And uh, we thank God, you know, just approve my plans and things will go well. But the Bible teaches a different approach to life. The Bible teaches a rhythmic life. And we see this all throughout the Bible. That when God created us, he created us to live within a rhythm, right? There's a rhythm of life that's healthy and that's good and that God has planned. Uh, We see it even with Jesus, right? Resting and working, resting and working. You ever thought about that? Like Jesus, I mean, this is God in the flesh, of course, and he was 100% man, 100% God, but he had to sleep, right? He had to rest and he had to disconnect from time to time. Uh, we even see this all the way back in Genesis 1. Uh, God begins the Bible with a rhythm. Uh, he works for six days, and then on the seventh day, what does he do? He rests, right? Now, does God have to rest because he's tired? No. 
God does that for our benefit. He doesn't do it for his benefit, but he's trying to teach us an example. He's trying to teach us a way of life. Uh, Blase Pascal, he, he was a French philosopher. He said this, and this is interesting. This is just an interesting statement. He said, all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit alone quietly in a room. All right? All of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit alone quietly in a room. Why? Because we have to come face-to-face with our thought life. Right? We have to, and that's kind of a scary thing for some of us. Uh, We have to be present in the presence of an omnipresent God. And for some of you, that's terrifying to think about. Now, what's fascinating about this quote is that he didn't say this quote a few years ago. Of course, it would be applicable today with just, again, our social media and our connective culture. But he said this in the 1600s. And it shows us really today that we have the same problem. We have the same problem today. There was actually a study done in the Journal of Science. It was done in the late 90s. And uh, they did this uh, experiment, if you will, on a number of participants And they were asked to sit in a room alone in silence from 5 to 15 minutes. Okay, that was the task. They had all these participants, and they said, you just have to sit in this room by yourself in complete silence for 5 to 15 minutes. And what the study found was that some of the participants would rather be shocked with a mild electric shock than to to sit in a room quietly. Now, that's incredible to me. I mean, that's crazy. You know, just, just shock me. You know, five minutes in a room, I'll just, I'll just take the, the, the little shock. And it's easy to criticize these people. Like, you know, what is wrong with these people? You know, they're delusional. But then I started to think about my own life. And I started to try to put myself in that situation, in their shoes. And I, and I thought about this. Anytime I have a free moment... I mean, don't I immediately reach for my phone? I mean, you think about your life. We can't even go to the bathroom without our phone, right? I mean, it happened, it happened, today, it happened yesterday. I, was, I had to go to the bathroom, and I was halfway there, and I turned around. Without even thinking about this message, I turned around, and I thought, oh, I need to get my phone. And I went back and got my phone, and it's just crazy how connected we are to those things. And... Um, You know, some of us even check our phones at the red light. Uh, We can't be disconnected from the connectivity of our phones. Have you ever gotten all the way to work and realized that you forgot your phone? Oh, man, you know, what are we going to do all day? You know, I have to actually talk to people face-to-face, right? Uh, Try to take a cell phone away from a teenager. Now, that's a very dangerous thing. And, um, you know, it's like their whole world falls apart. I've actually had someone not go to camp with us. Because they heard that when we go to camp, I take their phones. And we do. When we take the teens to camp on Monday, we take up their phones and we say, you can have them back on Friday. And I've actually had a teenager say, I'm not going. I'm not going to camp. So, I mean, here we are. You know, how do we get here? How do we get to a place where we are so connected and, and, and we can't get disconnected? How did we get here? I want to take you on a, just a small journey here through history on how I think we got here. Uh, I think it all started around 1367, okay, in Germany. In 1367, if you go back in history, you'll discover that this is when the first 
clock was introduced in the Times Square. Now, this isn't the, the actual clock, but it was a clock like this. 1367, the first time that something like this was introduced into the public square. It was the first time that man transitioned from natural time with light and darkness to man-made time with a clock. Okay, And clocks became more popular and schedules and people keeping time and things like that. That didn't used to be a thing. And so instead of waking up to the rhythm of the sun and going to bed at sundown, people stayed up way later. They got up earlier and and they said, you know what, we're no longer bound by God's time. We can kind of create our, create our own time. And then in 1879, the light bulb was invented by who? Thomas Edison, right? And so Thomas Edison came on the scene. And, of course, that's a blessing because now we have light. But this also affected our sleep. Uh, prior to the light bulb in 1879, guess how many hours of sleep the average American got each night? What do you think? Huh? Ten? That's it, ten. The average Amer- Before the light bulb was invented, the average American, ten hours of sleep a night. Now, how many of us have gotten ten hours of sleep lately? All right? Been a while? A teenager, of course, he raises his hand. Uh, yeah, it's just, it's just crazy how, how it changes. And then everything changed again in 2007. What do you think happened in 2007? That's right, Steve Jobs came out with the iPhone. And then this really interrupted people's sleep and schedules and all these things. It's hard to wrap our minds around, around this, but think about this. We've only had these smartphones in our pockets for 15 years. Only 15 years. It's really not very long. But here's why I tell you this. No one has any idea of the long-term effects on a generation that is just constantly connected. We don't have that data yet. Uh, Just for context, guess what the average number of times the average American touches their phone each day. Okay, now before you put it up on the screen... How, let, let's take some guesses, okay? How many times would you say the average American just touches their phone? They just t- they touch the screen of their phone. How many times a day? What do you think? Twenty-five thousand. Okay. What? What? Uh, huh? Two hundred times? Five hundred? Twenty? Twenty times? Okay. Here's the study. You're not allowed to guess, Landon, because you know the answer back there. All right, here's the uh, results of the study. The average American will touch their phones 2,617 times a day on average, okay? Um, And then there are some cases where that's even higher, okay? Probably teenage girls. That's probably triple the number. Um, But 2,617 times a day. Think of that. Here's the problem I want you to get. I say all that to say this. And here, here, here's the principle. Constant connection with the world leads to disconnection from God. Right? Constant connection with the world really leads to a disconnection from God. And, and we have all of these Christians today who say, Man, I just don't, I don't, got, I don't see God working in my life. I don't hear from God. And it's because we are so connected. We, we, we never have time in our life where this psalm says to just be still. Be still. Right? Just be still. And um, that's a problem. And what it leads to is that 
many of us know of Jesus, but we don't personally know Jesus. Okay, we, we don't intimately know Jesus. We know about him, we know of him, which is the second point of the message here. First, is that when you are present with God, in the presence of God, by being still, then you will then what? Number two, you will know God. Okay, know God. Uh, again, here in our text, Psalm 46, 10 and 11, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen, I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our refuge, Selah. What uh, he's saying here is this. When you are still and know that I am God, then what happens? God begins to be exalted in your life. And God begins to be exalted throughout the whole world. Right? So wouldn't you love to have this testimony that, man, people see, they see Christ in me. Like Christ just comes out of me. And... um, That's what this verse is saying. Be still and know that I am God. I'll be exalted among the heathen. And I'll be exalted in the earth. So we think about that and we think, you know, fighting stops. War ceases, Peace reigns. The kingdom of heaven advances. Road rage is no longer a thing. Divorce is no longer a thing. Uh, All of these things of the kingdom begin to be front and center in your life and those around you. So here's the promise. When we are still and slow down, we'll know God. But here's the question, okay, that I have. What, is it, what does it mean to really know God? Have you ever thought about that? Like, what does it mean to really know him? Uh, what, how, 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 do we, how do we know God? You see, knowing someone in, in general just takes time. You can't rush a relationship, right? It's very personal. Uh, it's very individual, I remember when me and Leslie first started dating. And, of course, all of you who are married could give the same testimony, something similar. Uh, When we first started dating, we spent as much time together as possible. Why? Because we're trying to get to know each other. I mean, we enjoyed each other's company. I mean, I remember after the the first date that we had, uh, we just had an instant connection. And we became really close friends. And we would spend all of our time together every every time we could have get a chance to spend together we did and uh, what happened was we would we would ask each other questions right now in the beginning it was things like where are you from you know do you have any siblings where'd you grow up what are things that you like to do right those are kind of common like get to know you type questions kind of surface questions right and we became friends but then what happened the more I knew about her, what, what, what eventually ended up happen, happening? I, I began to love her, right? And then as our relationship grew deeper, now we could have more meaningful and deeper questions, right? Like, what do, you, what do you want in your future? Like, where do you see yourself? How many kids do you want? What do you think about marriage? What do you think about whatever? And you start having these deeper conversations, right? Which in turn makes me love her even more. And, and, and I, want to, I want to serve her. And I, I want to, to sacrifice for her. You know, I think about even our relationship now at home. You know, why do, I, why do I clean off my plate after dinner and load the dishwasher? And why do I help her with the laundry? And I'm not sitting there thinking, okay, I need to be a good husband. I need to be a good husband. I need to be a good husband. This, these are things that I just need to do. No, none of those things motivate me. My love for her motivates me, right? Like, I want to serve her. 
I want to sacrifice. I want to do these things for her because she means so much to me. Now, the same could be said of our relationship with God, right? And I've taught you this before. I don't have it on the screen, but the triangle where the more you know God, the more you love God. The more you love God, the more you serve God. Okay? And then the more you serve God, God begins to reveal more of himself to you. And you go in, in, in even deeper with him and his word. And you learn more of God. And which in turn leads you to what? To love him more, right? I love him even more. This is amazing. And I want to serve him. I, I want to give my life for him. And I'm motivated not to, man, you know, I have to do this or this really needs to be done. I'm motivated just out of this love for him. I love God. I want to do this for him. And uh, he's done so much for me. Now, here's, here's the, the, the problem. Many people have a knowledge of God in their heads, but it has never really impacted their hearts. Okay? And we see that. They have this knowledge of God. They, they know some things about God. Uh, they know some Sunday school stories. They, they can sing some Christian songs. They might remember some sermons that have been preached in years past. But they don't know him intimately. They've never encountered him personally. Uh, they've never been filled with his power, his spirit, and just sensed the presence of the Lord. Uh, they've never tasted the Lord in a sense and seen that he is good. So what happens is this. You've, you've settled as a result for this synthetic surface level substitute for the presence and the power of God in your life. And, you know, what do we have to do? What do we have to do? We have to be still enough to know that he is God. Now, what's one of the ways that we can do this? Well, we can learn about him, obviously, through the Bible, right? We can spend time in his word and meditate on his promises. Uh, We have to remember this. Knowing the Bible is more than just learning facts and figures uh, about God. This isn't really a textbook, okay? Don't look at it as a textbook. I'm not just trying to learn these stories and these facts and things about God. Um, I would say that the more you read the Bible, the more you start to look and act like the author of the Bible. Okay? Uh, And I've experienced that, and I've seen that in other people's lives, where the more you know of God and His Word, you begin to to act like Him and, and to talk like Him. And I would say this, the goal of reading the Bible is not to master the Bible. The goal of reading the Bible is for the Bible to master you, right? We want to be ultimately consumed with God. We want to be consumed with Him. And so knowing is this intimacy with another person. It's a, it's a relational component with an individual. One of the first times we actually see it is in Genesis chapter 4. Okay? And it's the same word, the same Hebrew word used here in our text, Psalm 46, that we are to know God. This is the same word used in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. The Bible says this, And Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. Now, this is a different kind of knowing, right? This takes on a whole different meaning. Uh, Knowing is this intimate relationship. It, It is this union, this oneness with another person. It's trust. And again, relationship takes time. Let me ask you this question. How much time do you spend with Jesus? I want you to think about it. How much time do you spend with Jesus? Take Sunday out. Okay, you're not allowed to count Sunday. 
Monday through Saturday, how much time do you spend with them? Because you see, an intimate relationship takes time, just like any other relationship. We have to be intentional. You see, your life communicates a message to God of how important he is to you. How important is he? You know, we did an interesting thing in our homeschool. Uh, We homeschool our boys, and I'm teaching them Bible this year. And uh, one of the things that, um, one of the activities that they did was they had to create a log of how they spent their time. Because we we were talking about uh, a worldview and having a Christian worldview and dualism and different things. And so... I asked them the question, like, what, what do you love? What do you love? And, of course, their answer was, well, we love God, and we love going to church, and we love our family, and, and uh, all these things. And so, okay, here's the, here's the activity. You're going to create a, a, a log of how you spend your time throughout the week. And so they, they did that, and then they came back the next week, and I looked at them and say, okay, let's figure out how did you spend your time. And, of course, their time was... Of course, they had school on there and different things, but most of their time, their free time was just filled with video games, right? Just games. We were on screens. And, and of course, I told them not to say that, listen, I'm not saying that you don't love God, but this is very revealing, right? This really reveals what's most important. And, um, and that's convicting for me, definitely for me. So our life communicates this message of how important he is. And, um, you know, you speak that with how much time you want to spend with him. So sadly, many people are going to stand before the Lord one day. And they're going to think that they know Jesus. Uh, but we have to ask ourselves this question, does Jesus know me? Right? Does Jesus know me personally? Uh, this passage in Matthew chapter 7, this is just one of the, I think, one of the saddest passages in all the Bible. Matthew 7, verse 21, the Bible says this, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Now, this is a warning, really, to all of us. And there are perhaps some people in this auditorium who will stand before Jesus on Judgment Day, believing that they're going to heaven because of the good deeds that they did. And Jesus will say to you, do we know each other? I'm sorry, you seem to know me, but I didn't catch your name. I'm sorry, who are you? I I'm sorry, I just don't, I don't, I don't know who you are. And that's just a sad, that's, a, that's such a sobering thought. And so here's the question. Do you know Jesus? Does he know you? Do you know each other intimately? Do you know him? Uh, I mentioned earlier that me and Leslie have been married almost 16 years for our 15th uh, anniversary we uh, took a trip. It was one of the best things that we've done. We had such a good time. We went to Savannah, Georgia, and we just got an Airbnb. We had we we, we really had no schedule uh, at the time. We were just we were both tired, and we thought I, we don't want to go somewhere and just have our schedule full of stuff. Let's just go somewhere where we, where we can relax. 
And so we got an Airbnb in Savannah right there in the historic district downtown. And uh, we stayed there and we ate at restaurants and and did a horse and carriage ride through the city. And it was just really, really good for us. It was one of the best things that, that I think we've done together and had a great time. Well, one of the days um, we decided we want to go to Tybee Island. You know, it's fairly close and, you know, there's a lighthouse there. And and so, okay, let's go. So we packed up in the car and we went to Tybee Island. We pulled in. We're not really beach people, um, but, you know, we wanted to see the lighthouse and different things. So so we pulled in and uh, there's we see all these trailers, all these just everywhere. I mean, there's trailers everywhere that people have parked and there's these people with headsets walking around and we're like, what is going on? What is something's happening here? And so what we found out is right there on the beach was a movie set. Okay. They were filming a movie. And, um, so we're not real close. Okay. We're at least a hundred yards away, but we can see, you know, kind of what's going on over there. And we're, we start talking to people like, Hey, what are they doing? What movie are they filming? Who's over there? And, uh, they said, that's Channing Tatum and that's Scarlett Johansson right there. You see him like, yeah, we can see, yeah, that's so cool. Yeah, we can see them. And so that was just kind of an interesting thing. We stuck around hoping that we could get like a closer look. And, um, I should have put the picture up here for you, but we have it somewhere. But uh, we were trying to just, I mean, we knew we probably weren't going to get to meet them. But, man, if we could get a really good picture, that would be cool. But it was taking too long, and we just ended up leaving. So the next day, we, uh, we were going through Savannah, and we went to this ice cream place. Uh, and we got ice cream. And we noticed in the street, there are all these old cars. And uh, in the window, it was displayed like the 1950s. And we thought, man, they're that something's, something's happening here. Like, this looks like a movie set. And come to find out, they had filmed, they had just filmed the day before there on that strip, part of the movie. And we thought, oh, man, we missed it. You know, we should have come here yesterday, and maybe we could have seen them. And I don't know, that would just be so cool to see. And, and we were all excited about that. But I think about that and, and think, you know, how would you feel if you missed meeting someone of importance in the world? Okay, now... Just think about, and you don't have to say it out loud, but just think about who, who is it that you would like to meet? Okay, if you could meet anyone in the world that's living today, okay, who, who is it? Who is that person that you would like to meet? And how would you feel, okay, whoever you're thinking of, how would you feel if you found out that you'd missed an opportunity? Like they were in the grocery store like 10 minutes before and oh, you missed them. You know, you think, man, I could have, you know, I could have seen them. I could have gotten my picture with them or whatever. Well, whoever you're thinking of right now, someone of far greater importance is here today, right? And that's God himself. And God is in this place every week. And some of us casually enter in and we leave and never really connect with him. We never really connect with him. And and, and here's the problem. It doesn't really bother you. right, you're very content to just kind of play the game, just come in casually, okay, and exit. And we're unconcerned with really meeting the God of the universe. Now, the difference between whoever it was that you're thinking about that you'd like to meet is this. The best thing you could get from that person would maybe be like a picture, right, or an autograph. It might bring you a sense of 
satisfaction, short-lived, right? You'd be happy for a little while. That's cool. We got to meet this person. But that would be the best thing that could come from that. Listen, God wants to forgive your sins, and God wants to give you eternal life. It's far greater. Some of you have become way too comfortable living a life disconnected from God. And so this week, I want to challenge you, okay? And I want you to write this challenge down. I want you to engage in this practice over the next few days. This is what I want you to do. I want you to set aside a time where you're going to sit, okay, you ready for this, for a whopping five minutes in silence and solitude. All right, I want you to find a place. It could be in the morning, it could be at night, but I want you to find a place where you're by yourself, get alone, and set an alarm on your phone for five minutes and just allow the Lord to take the distractions of your life and just let them fall away into his presence. This isn't a time for you to sit and think about your calendar. And this is going to be hard. This is going to be really hard. You're not thinking about what, okay, what do I have to do today? This isn't even a time of prayer. Okay, I don't want you to pray. I want us to just sit alone in a room for five minutes and just do nothing. All right? And you say, well, why, you know, why do we have to set an alarm? Because you're going to look at your phone and it's going to be like, oh man, only 30 seconds have passed. Okay, I promise it's going to happen. This is going to be hard. It's going to be harder than you think. So, so you're, you're, you're just sitting in silence. Now the goal of silence, again, it's not trying to get something from God. Okay, it's really just God getting you. You're inviting yourself like, God, I am yours. And I want you to have me. You're not praying. You're not trying to get something from God. It's about God getting just your undivided attention. Silence is not the absence of something. It's actually the presence of someone. So this activity here, it's about just living in the present. You know, so many of us, including myself, we're always worried about the future, right? Like what comes next? What's next? What do I have on my agenda? What, what, all, what all do I have to do this week? And we're thinking about what's next, what's next, what's next? But we don't need to be concerned about that because when we do, we miss the now, right? Like God is now. God is now. Uh, you know, when they said, who, who, who should I tell him? Most said, who should I tell him sent me? What do he say? I am. I am sent you. I am now present. So, so don't miss the moment, okay? Don't miss the moment. I really want to challenge us with that. To be still, okay, and know God. Here's, here's how I want to do an invitation, we're not going to bow our heads. Uh, you can look right here at me. If, you, if you're here this morning and you say, Daniel, I, I'm not ashamed to admit it. I do not know the Lord is my Savior. I have never really trusted the Lord as my Savior. I, I do not have an intimate relationship with Him. And, uh, you know, I would be guilty. On Judgment Day, God would probably say, I don't know you. I don't know who you are. And you say, you know what? I've never been saved. But I want to be. I want to trust Christ as my Savior. If that's you, I'd like for you to go ahead and get up right now and sit on this front row. 